Thank you, Alan, for that. It's always, it's always good to start with prayer and to, to, to get our hearts right. And I know, I know for me, like you said, I, I want to I preach and speak God's word and, and want him to, to use me and to speak through me. Uh, so those who don't know me, I'm, I'm A.J. Stedford, one of the, the lay elders here. Uh, I've, I'm also a high school science teacher and, and baseball coach, as well as a husband and, and father of three. Uh, it's good to be here. So if, if you haven't been, if you haven't been around, we're, we're going through the, the fruit of the Spirit. So we've been going through the book of Galatians, which we like to do, and just unpack the, the book verse by verse. But it took a little break. In a sense, we're just really unpacking the fruit of the Spirit. And so with that interesting, where instead of just having this one text that I'm going to camp out on, so now it's kind of, I went in with like, like I have got, I've got the whole book of the Bible to go through and find this one, which, which was kind of fun also for me, a little bit daunting, because I get, I get a little overwhelmed with like trying to put all the pieces together, especially when I start going in the Bible. I'm like, all right, what do we got about like goodness and, and good? And, and there's like 600 some references. I'm like, oh, oh where do I start? Uh, in the end, it's not too bad. I mean, you start, you start with Jesus and you work from there. So it, it came together pretty well. Uh, so getting into this, uh, it, one of the things that jumped out in my mind first, and again, I mentioned how I, I coach baseball. So I have a, a new book I've been going through. It's called The, the Baseball 100. And, and it came up because it was, it was uh, a guy I follow who, who recommends, the, and it was actually the end of the year. At the end of the year, he did his, his Favorite books of the year, like and 19 out of 20 Christian books. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I expected. But then there was one baseball book, which is odd because I've never seen a theologian include a baseball book in his book of his list of favorite books of the year. So I'm like, well, it's got to be good. It's got to be good if he's including this. So I bought it immediately, and uh, I've been going through it. And basically, it, it goes through just a, what he views as his hundred, the hundred best ball players of all time. And it just gives a little four to six story with stats mixed into story. It's just really, really interesting and engaging. But there was one in particular, this is why I'm mentioning it, that, that jumped to my mind when, when I was thinking about goodness. And it was one of the players where he was describing, in a sense, goodness, but he used, he used a different term. Uh, so he it was Joe uh, Posnanski is the, is the writer. And, and so Joe was describing one of the players, and he used the uh, an old word that I hadn't known before called uh, a mensch. And so it's a word that, that I guess is a, a Yiddish word that came from, from German, and it was brought over when uh, a lot of the, the Jews had come over in the early 1900s. And, and he describes the word and what it had come to mean and how it was used. And it's defined as someone to admire or emulate. And then he goes through and he, he gives a description. So the author gives a description as, as to what this would mean and what this would look like. So I'm not going to read all of them, but just to give you a few, to give you an idea, he goes through and he describes the, the prototype of this type of person. They, they borrow your car or your lawnmower and return it filled up with gas. They send you thoughtful handwritten notes. They defend you when you're not around. They leave good tips they bring gifts. They surprise you by knowing your birthday. They know your kids' names and even sometimes your pets' names. They shovel the driveway of their old neighbor. Always remember to pass along a promised book or recipe. And in other words, someone who tries to do the right thing. He or she isn't perfect. Far from it. They make as many mistakes as the next person. But they apologize for those mistakes. Make up for them. Keep striving to do better in situations big and small. 
So I read that, and I'm like, uh, like that, that is a good person. Because I remembered, I'd read it before I'd even started doing this or in prep, but, it, but I'd remembered it because when I first had read that, that was something that stuck out to me of, I want to be this kind of person. And really, as, as a Christian, I, I should be this type of person. And I, I should be known as this type of person. Like, I, I'm a person who will do this. And one of the differences we'll see is not just because I'm trying to be a good person, but I do this because of the good God and good Savior I have. That's who I want to be. But in particular, when we look at this, as I said, so this isn't from a, a Christian perspective. It's just a, a writer describing a, a good person. And interestingly enough, even the person, the person he wrote about, I remember the player, and I was like, he, he wasn't a good person. So, so I, don't, I don't know. I mean, there's always more to the story, but it just gets interesting how, how that, that can fluctuate in terms of what is good or, or who is good or who is, who is good enough. Like what this author thought of as a good person is not someone that I thought of as a good person. So obviously there's some conflict in our understanding or definition of the word. And, and that's what we see a lot of times when we start getting into looking at good and goodness is, well, what, what does it actually mean? Like what, what are we trying to say? Which is important because if we're going to talk today about being good, like having goodness, well, we got to know what does that actually mean and, and what does that look like in us when we show that, that fruit of the Spirit and, and where, does it, where does it come from? Which, which we know ultimately for us, we're going we're gonna to get into the, the Scriptures. Um, but I, did, I wanted to mention, I wanted to, to share the definition that we get from, well, from Google, because why not? So quick search into Google, something to be desired approved of, or that which is morally right. So I thought about that, and, and in general, I was like, that seems like the way we typically use the definition, like something to be desired. Like, when I say that something's good, like, we made, we made cheeseburgers and milkshakes at home the other night, and I said, that is good, because that's, I do. I think that's really good. There might be other meals I don't think so, ones that I make, not my wife. But, but there's that idea of, I approve of this, and, and even I desire this. They're good things. Or, or we say like a good person, that idea of, of someone who is, who is morally right. But then we get into, again, that, that deeper question of what, what, does, that, what does that mean? Like how, how do we decide or, or who decides what is actually to be desired or, or what is to be approved or, or what, is, what is morally right even at all to begin with, which even you can have a, a whole nother discussion on the idea of morality and even having a sense of morality as an evidence that we, we have a God and a, and a good God. But when we, so when we think about it, when we look at it, it without the Bible, it's, it's muddied. And, and it gets into a lot of what we, we hear of, what, uh, what we call secular humanism, a worldview where, where each person defi- defines their own truth and, and what is right for them. And and without the Bible, that's what you're left with with the word good. It's just every person has to define it for themselves, which can get pretty messy because we know that what one person says is desirable and, and is approved, another person will say something completely different potentially, that something is not desirable and approved, and you get conflict between the two. And, and I, I've seen that a lot of times in my life. I've seen that. In my, my wife and I used to watch CSI, SVU every night, and and I learned very well on that show that what some people think are okay is not okay, and they go to jail for it. I appreciate jail for that reason. 
Um, so in the end, okay, so we need a better definition because if we're gonna show goodness, we need a better definition. And as I said, ultimately, the Bible is the place that we've got to, got to go for it. Because uh, even on a, a similar note, because even when you think about God himself and saying he is good, well, what, what does that even mean? In terms of the, the normal day-to-day definition, like are we saying that we, we approve of him and that makes him good? Are we saying that because we desire him, that makes him good, or, or he meets our moral standards, that makes him good? Like that, that can't be what we say because we are not in the judge's seat. We don't have the gavel in hand. And, and really, his, his ways are beyond our ways. So we, we can't understand all that he does. So some things that we might look at and wonder, like, how is that good? Like, well, we don't know. We don't know because we are limited in our understanding and we're limited on our knowledge of, of how things actually work and, and the big picture. Remember, God sees eternity all. He sees and he knows it all. So we cannot be in that seat. So that's not what it's going to mean. It's not that God gets our approval. It's not that he meets our standards. That's a, a weight that we don't want to have to determine ourselves anyway. But it is going to be, and what it is, it's, it's who he is himself. So I'll start unpacking a, a few different scriptures. Uh, as I get into it, you'll notice I, I, got, I got a little scripture happy, the second half especially. This is a lot of different places. The way they connected together just was was. For me, like so interesting and beautiful that I have a few different verses I end up hitting in the second half and, and seeing the way they help explain one another. Uh, for now, starting off with simple verse from Psalm 119.68, where it says to God, you are good and you do good. So you are good and you do good. And so, and especially that first half, like you are good. And so we're not saying like you are a good God in the sense of like we would say like you are a good person, but God is good, as in he is goodness. It's who he is. Goodness is who he is, and therefore is what he does. So what we're seeing here, and what we're saying is God by nature is good, and therefore all of his actions, everything he does is connected to this goodness. So his actions, his goodness is an outpouring of who he is as a God. Everything that comes from God is good because God is the definition of goodness. It's who he is. So again, that's kind of the the simple definition, like, well, what is goodness? It's God. Well, then you get into, like, what does that mean? Well, look at everything God does, and that's goodness, and I'll go and emulate that and have a a great Sunday. I mean, you could do that. There's a lot that you could unpack. Well, We'll at least get some pieces of it. So one of, the, one of the places I wanted to start also is, is looking at the first place we see good in, in Scripture, and that's in the, the creation account. So in Genesis, when God's creating, he talks about how everything he creates, and then he says it was good, and at the end, very good, which, which I think is really cool. It's just the idea of he, he creates, and then he states, he declares that, that this is worthy, in the sense that it is, it's, it's his approval. It's something to be desirable in the sense that it shows him, it reflects him, it reflects his goodness in its beauty. And there's a lot of different examples you can get into in the way that happens, and especially, as I said, I'm, I'm a science teacher, and so I teach in one of, the, one of the classes, anatomy, physiology, so the, the verse that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There are so many different things that I would love to talk about, about showing the, the beauty and goodness of God in, in creation and in us. 
but they're going to have to give me time and another sermon to do that. I would love to, though. If you ever want to talk, I'm available. Uh, but the, so the one, I picked one and just thought of what's a good place in creation that, that pops into my mind that shows God's goodness. And, and what came into my mind first was, was just a, a beautiful sunrise. Because when I think about it, a lot of times for me, it's, it's more than just a sunrise. Like I think about leaving the house in the morning. So heading to work, after waking up the kids and they don't want to get up, I woke up, I didn't want to get up. We're rushing, we're trying to get out, we're forgetting things. Sometimes we've got to turn around to go back and get something, whether I forgot it or somebody else forgot it. Either way, we get a little grumpy sometimes, right? We get a little grumpy sometimes. But we come down Cathcart, and no matter what, when we come around, there's that one turn, and on a nice morning, you can see the whole line of mountains. And if you catch it right in the right time of year, when the sun's coming up right over those things, it is just, I mean, it is just beautiful. It is just awe-inspiring. And the mornings where we have that, when we, make, when we, when we turn that, I mean, legitimately, there's, there's like a moment of silence. It's like this, this peace. And even if we had been, been fighting, even if there had been stress, there's this moment where that seems to, to just dissipate and, and just kind of go away. And then someone will make the comment of like, that is beautiful. And then the youngest daughter, Audrey, will yell something about, I love purple. Like, okay, <laughs> the sunrise is purple just for you, just for you. But... But there is this beauty that is, as I said, more than just beauty. It's a reminder of who God is, a reminder of his goodness. And in those moments, and it really helps to, to reset my mind and my heart of like, ah, yes, we have a, a good God. And he gives us, even the, the sunrise, this, this gift of his beauty, a gift that he doesn't have to give us, but he does because he's good and he likes to show us that goodness. So that's one, that's one of the ways we see his goodness. And the other, we see it in, in character. And this was another one when I was going through trying to prepare, just looking at where we see the character of God and his goodness. And it seemed like almost everything I started to look at was just stepping on the toes of the other fruit of the Spirit. And so, so I, I tried to navigate it a little bit. But in the end, I did find one good quote that, that illustrates that sense of, of goodness really does encompass many of the other characteristics that we see and even some of the other some of the other fruit in this, of the Spirit. So was this quote in particular from Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology. He says, God's mercy is his goodness toward those in distress. His grace is his goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. And his patience is his goodness toward those who continu continue to sin over a period of time. So we see, we see his goodness manifested in many of these other characteristics. So we can point to God's patience, and that shows his goodness, his glory, his beauty. We can, we can look to his mercy. We can, there's so many characteristics we can point to and say how each of those in some way shows God's goodness. Again, because God is good. Looking back in the Bible, I think of, I think of the way that, that God took the people and delivered them out of, out of Egypt. So he took them out. So save them or, or get them out of slavery and then was delivering them to a promised land. And, and even still, because that in itself is good, and the, the idea of he's saving them and delivering them to this new land. But then even still, we read it, we read the, the story on how the, the people just continue to complain again and again. Like, there's no food. You brought us out here to die. I'd rather go back to slavery. And, but God's patient with them. Then he gives them food. But then the food's not good enough, and they want better food. He's like, oh, okay, I'll give you better food. And, and he does, it's not exactly like that, it's paraphrased. But, 
but he does, and he just, he's slow, and he's slow to anger, and he's, he's patient with these people, even though, as he says, like, they're a stiff-necked people. They just continue to grumble and to complain, yet he is patient, and he is still faithful and true to his word, because he is a good God. And we see that character the same in us today. We, we grumble and we complain. Like I said, like the, the mornings driving to school sometimes where I'm, I'm getting stressed out because I don't want to be late and I don't want this happening. And then I start to grumble. And, and of course, that doesn't set the tone well. But then God is patient with me. And then he'll show me, like he'll show me the sunrise. He'll give me a word of encouragement. He'll, he'll give me something in the, in the scriptures, in the, the brothers and sisters around me. In the, he, he gives me something that helps to, to remind me again that he is a good God and to keep my perspective. And, and I love that. And it's, it's, it's what I need. Obviously, it's what we all need and the way that he, he uses the Holy Spirit in us to help remind us and show us his goodness. Ultimately, though, so all of that being said, okay, we've got all this about goodness, the creation, God's character, who he is, what he does. But ultimately, when we got to define it, we look at one specific thing, what is goodness, we would say it's Jesus Christ. Because in that sense, we get, we get God in person, in flesh, acting out, walking goodness, and it gives us a, a great example for us to emulate. So it's Jesus himself who embodies and shows what it means to be good and how it is that we do good. That was from his, his everyday ministry to the cross itself, which the cross being the ultimate expression of goodness as God overcame evil with good. So I'm going to pack that a little bit more, but, but before I get into to some of that and the, the example that, that Jesus gave us and, and how to follow it, I wanted to take a, a, a little bit of time also to, to address some of the, the struggles and doubts that, that we can have with God's goodness. Uh, as I know, it can be a, a difficult thing for, for some people to talk about in the idea that that there are, I mean, there, there's a lot of brokenness in our world, and there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of, a lot of suffering. And, and it is a, a very real thing for many to, to wrestle and, and to doubt and to question a good God. In the sense of when we, when we look at calamities or disasters, when, when we look at past historical events that have happened, and we've seen a lot of wickedness historically, or... Or when we, when we look even to our, our personal lives, whether it's you know, a loved one that, that we have who has died, or whether it's a, a disease or our condition that, that we're suffering through or, or a loved one is suffering through, uh, or whether it's past or even, even current abuse potentially, I mean, those things are, are horrific. And, and they are going to lead to some questions and some wrestling of why would a good God allow these kind of things? And, and first of all, I'm even just pointing out the idea that, that God will listen to us. Like when we, when we wrestle with those and we pray and we can ask him because he is a good God who's going to listen to those and be patient with us. And he's going to be slow to anger because he is abounding in steadfast love. And so with that, so one, acknowledging the difficulty that's there. Uh, but two, I also want to show how God can, can, use, can use the suffering and will allow us to suffer in order for a greater good. A greater good being his, his glory and for the good of those who love him. Um, I think it's important also just to mention that, that God himself, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't ordain evil. He doesn't support anything that's evil or sinful. So those things that happen are not 
Like that, it's not like God wishes evil to happen. So that's, that's the first thing. We know that is not the case. We live in a broken world. God hates the evil that's done. He hates abuse. He hates mistreatment. And a lot of what we see through the Bible and experience in our lives, we see a lot of God undoing the brokenness. So mending, redeeming, reconciling a lot of things that have been broken. So I want to try to show uh, three, three promises in particular that I think can help, can help when we wrestle with God's goodness and if we question it. And then also in these three, I think that each of them is a, another example of the goodness of God himself. It's going to help us understand him even more. Because the more we know his goodness, the more we can show his goodness. So one is that God will work all things to his glory and the good of those who love him, as I just mentioned. So it may not always be easy to see it, might not always be easy to understand it, but we do have at least some experiences, whether in our own lives or people around us, or, or at least in, in the Bible where we see this truth get reflected. So a lot of stories of, of people while, while grieving, being brought closer to Christ, learning to depend on Christ more through pain. I know in my life in particular, just thinking of like, the times where I have grown the most spiritually have been the absolute most difficult times in my life. And so the ones that, like, the ones that I would not wish upon anybody or, or in a sense wish I hadn't gone through, at the same time, I'm thankful for what God did through those times. So there's a lot that he can do in the midst of the brokenness. I think of the story of Joseph from the Bible. As his brothers did him wrong by, by selling him into slavery, it's like they were, they were going to just kill him. Like, oh, let's just, well, let's sell him and make some money instead. I'm like, that's, I mean, that's about as bad as you're going to get right there in terms of treatment of a brother. And, and in the end, God uses it where he raises Joseph up into a place where he can actually save his family and, and save the whole people. And when the brothers come and they're worried that he's going to kind of try to get revenge, and he responds and said what they had meant for, for evil, God had meant for good. So in the end, not, I mean, not, not saying that God wanted those, like God didn't want him to be, to be you know, mistreated or sinned against, but, but God used the mistreatment and the, and the sin for a bigger picture and the redemption, the, the saving of a whole, a whole people. I think of a, another, another book, A Severe Mercy. It was one of my, my wife's favorite books and then uh, has become one of my favorite books as well, uh, where author Sheldon Van Aken, I'm not sure if I said it right, but he describes God's mercy in allowing, so in allowing the, the death of his wife and that he would be brought, so Sheldon, brought into relationship with Jesus. And, and Van Aken writes that death, that death, so full of suffering for us both, suffering that still overwhelmed my life was yet a severe mercy, a mercy as severe as death and a severity as merciful as love. So this idea where it was a, I mean, it was a, a severe situation in the sense it was, it was suffering, it was painful, but through it, and his wife, he tells in the story about how his wife's faith was strengthened and in, in the end, his were where he was brought to Christ through this and just saying that, that that is something that he can be thankful for, being allowed to suffer for the saving of his soul and the glory of God. Again, it doesn't make sin okay. It doesn't make the sins against us okay. 
but we do have a sovereign God who will take the brokenness and he will redeem it. And that's something that is awesome and beautiful. He will take brokenness and he will redeem it. So he may allow us to suffer, but only because he can see the bigger picture and he knows where it all ends. And it ends at the, the building of our faith, the encouragement of others as we're drawn closer to Christ, as we can help others draw closer to Christ and walk with them when they suffer and they have to go through things. And all of that leads to God's glory. So in the end, we can see his strength even more in our weakness. There may be times where even still it's hard to understand or believe. Like sometimes you know the truth, you know what to believe, and, and, and you do believe it, but there's still those times where we're so like, I just don't know right now. Like my heart's just not there. And, and to that, I wanted to share a, a Charles Spurgeon quote that, that I thought hit it really well, where he said, the Christian believes him, God, to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind. He trusts him where, where he cannot trace him, looks up to him in the darkest hour, and believes that all is well. So I love that. Too good to be unkind. If we look at something like, how would, how would a, a good God allow that to happen? Well, I don't know. Like, I can't give you an answer sometimes. But I do know that God is too good to be unkind. And so even if I can't trace it, like this says, even if I can't trace it, even if I don't actually know why, I can still trust. I can still trust that we have a good God. And in that trust, there's, there's hope. I think of the, the song uh, that we sang beforehand. So I jotted this down because it just, I, I mean, I, I, love, I love the way that uh, the music that we sing and, and, it, and it just teaches truth. These guys do an awesome job of, of picking music purposefully that, that teach and proclaim the truth of God. And, and one of the verses today from, uh, from the first song where we sang, the path is dark outside my view, still all my ways are known to you. And that idea of, yes, the path is dark, there's a lot that we don't know, a lot we don't see, and some, and a lot we, we can't understand. But all my ways are known to you. And there's that, that peace that comes with that, that this good God knows our ways. He knows our paths. And he has, well, we'll see, purposed a lot of this beforehand for us. And so that, and that we can praise. Second thing I wanted to mention, or pro the, the promises of God that can help, is that God is faithful to walk with us in our suffering. He doesn't just sit back and tell us to deal with it. And he could have made creation and then just left it and let it be and figure, like everything just figure out on its own. But he didn't do that. Instead, he came to us and suffered with us in the person of Jesus Christ. So he suffered with us. And then, as we know, not only did he suffer with us, and even like with, with Lazarus, where he walked with, and when Lazarus died, he wept with people. So he, I mean, he, he walked with them in their suffering. And then not only did he suffer with us, but then he suffered for us on the cross as well. And what kind of God would actually do that? When you look at other religions, when they study, there's no God like our God. There isn't. The gods don't do this kind of stuff, to actually go into creation, suffer with them, and then even suffer for them to help them out and to make a way and give, to, to take our punishment and to, to give us give us an inheritance of Christ that we don't deserve. I mean, that's that, that is kind of mind-blowing when you study any form of religion, that that is not what anyone had ever believed a God would do, but that's what our God does. He is, in a sense, an unexpectedly good. 
And so now, with all of that, another act of goodness, he gives us the Holy Spirit, so he dwells with us. So he is still with us as we wrestle with whatever we need to wrestle with or whatever we do wrestle with, whatever comes our way. We know that we are never alone because we have God with us. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Third, we have a promise that God will make things right. Christ will return and all injustices will be addressed because God is a good judge. All brokenness will be mended, all wounds healed, all mourning will be turned to praise. So I love reading the book of Revelation where it just unpacks this imagery and, and we get this picture of what waits before us. And there's just so much beauty in knowing that things will all be made right one day and that Whatever, whether it was things done against me, whether it's just the brokenness in general, like diseases and, and disasters, or whatever it might be, all that brokenness will be healed and be fixed. C.S. Lewis said it well in, uh, in his book, the, the Great Divorce. He said, he said, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, but not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And that, that last part especially, that it will work backwards and turn ev- even that agony into a glory, which is that that's the hope that we need. That's, that's the promise that can help us persevere, is we know that even the worst of our agonies, the worst that we, that we see, the worst that we may have suffered through, that even though we don't understand, we know that even that agony will get turned into a glory. And in that, we can say hallelujah to God, because that is an amazing promise, an amazing, an amazing thing. Again, because we have such a good God. Also, I think of the fact that, that knowing we have a good God also can help us through these things and the fact that, that it gives us meaning and purpose in, in our suffering. Which, which can help us to persevere through the tough times. In the sense that if, if there wasn't a good God, then, then what purpose would you have in, in the difficulties, in the sufferings, in, the, in whatever comes our way? Like, if there's no purpose, it, it makes it really, really difficult to, to, to go through and, and makes it difficult even to, to look back on. But, but the fact that we have a good God, we can have a purpose in every trial. Even if we don't understand it, we know there's a purpose. We know there's something that God is doing, and that through even the toughest, that there is something that's going to come out that will glorify God, help to make us closer to Him, and give us opportunities to bring others closer to Him as well. In the end, the more we understand about the magnitude of God's goodness, the more our hearts are going to desire to show his goodness as well. And that's what we're seeing. And that's why I opened up with, with just showing how good God is and trying to show how good he is. Because as we understand that goodness, then we get empowered and, and are able to show it ourselves to reflect his goodness. As I already started to mention a little bit just a, a bit ago, so Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. The death on the cross, alienation from his father, a burden heavier than any that we will have to bear as believers in Christ. And in his resurrection, sin and death were defeated, our debt has been paid, and we receive the inheritance of our king. And we, we call that, we call that what? It's the good news. That's the good news. It's the good news, which is the meaning of the gospel. So 
that in itself is just a great picture and embodiment of what it means to be good. So Jesus Christ paying the price for our sins, dying for our sins on the cross, raising again, defeating them, defeating death, and giving us his inheritance. And I would encourage, if, if anyone here is, is not a Christian, I would encourage you to, to think, think on that. Like Think on the, the goodness of God himself. And, and really, as it says in another part in, in Psalms, to, to taste and see his goodness. Because in the end, it is a goodness like no other that you would ever experience. And especially through the cross and what we have there. It was the ultimate goodness bestowed upon us, and even though we were completely undeserving. But as I said, God's goodness then, as we understand his goodness, we see his goodness, helps to empower us to act in goodness. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, and then driven by the cross of Christ, we can serve others with goodness. So, I'm going to start to unpack that a little bit in terms of how that, that plays itself out. So this is where I start hitting a, a, few, more, a few more verses. So the first big chunk that I, I want to read through is from, from Titus. It's verses 2.11 through 3.8. So I'm going to read it all, and then there's a few specific things I'm going to highlight and then, then come back to. So Titus, starting in 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So this, I, this is... is I think absolutely fantastic. There's, and there's a lot of different things you can unpack here, and, and a few in particular that, that I'll, I'll, I'll point to. But one of the things that we see ultimately is shows us where, where goodness comes from. It says, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, we received Christ, who gave himself to redeem us and make us zealous for good works. So kind of uh, summing up and, and paraphrasing some of it. When what he says in terms of the goodness Paul, so Paul ends up restating the same thing twice. So the first part that I read from, from chapter 2 and then, and then the beginning of chapter, chapter 3, he, he restates and says almost the exact same thing. And that's one of the things with Scripture. When, when you see something that's repeated, 
that's a, something to take note of. It's something of, of, of big importance in, in the eyes of, of the scriptures. Uh, and so that's, that's what we see here. Um, so I was thinking, because it, it was, I remember someone had said at one point that when you see in the Bible uh, the way that the, it repeats itself, that it, it's never, like it repeats, but it's never redundant because there's a, there's a purpose for the repeating. So the, the verse I have on the screen, I know the words can be, be small to see because I, I tried to take all of what I just read and then I trimmed it down in just a few, a few sections that highlight specifically what I'm talking about right now. So one of the things that's really, really cool, I think, is, is it says how the goodness of God our Savior appeared. So with the two verses, really when you look at it, in, in Titus 2.11, starting off with, it said, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. So the grace of God appeared and his grace brought salvation. So he's referring to Jesus. So he's referring to Jesus as the grace of God. And then in, in chapter 3, he says something very similar. When the goodness of God appeared. When the goodness of God appeared, God our Savior, he saved, he saved us. So in the two verses, he, he refers to Jesus as the grace of God. And then he refers to Jesus as the, the goodness of God. And I think that's a really cool description when we look at it of the way that, that the goodness of God appeared and saved us. Like Jesus Christ is the goodness of God. He is the one who came and saved us. And again, not because of any works that we did, but out of, out of his mercy. And so that's why we look at Jesus as the depiction of the goodness of God. So as a result, as this says, as a result, we are called to devote ourselves to good works. And that's why each of those two sections each ended with the same thing, being zealous for good works, being devoted to good works. So our good works are an outflowing of the cross of Christ. So the goodness came to us in Christ and saved us. Therefore, the good works and the goodness will come out of us, will really will be reflected from us because of that. Another verse I wanted to look at from Ephesians, verses 2, 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that, anyone, so that, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, we see the same general format. By God's grace, we're saved. By his goodness, we are saved, not because, of, not because of our goodness, not because of any good that we have done. Rather, it is by the goodness of God alone. And it explains a little bit more and gives us some of the reason behind that in the sense that, as it says, so no one may boast. There's humility in goodness. Like we don't get to boast in our goodness. There's humility because our goodness, if our goodness saved us, then we, we would get the credit for it. We would be the reason for our own salvation because we did enough. We did the right things. We earned it. And that's, that's in the end, not true. But in the end, like, even if it, like, if it were, the glory would go to us. The glory would go to us, plus you would get the unwanted burden of having to be good enough and having to do all the things and do all the right things to be good enough, which is not a burden that you want to care. And that's why there's so much freedom in the cross of Christ that is his good works that, that saved us. The goodness of God saves us. And therefore, because it's his goodness, he gets the credit and he gets the glory. Interesting, interesting thing I, I think back on uh, from Exodus 
In Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, uh, so it's the story when, when Moses had asked God to, to reveal himself to him. And what, what he says and what, what he asks is to please show me your glory. And God's response is, I will make my goodness pass before you. I just think it's really cool the way that, that God, the God he, he answers him, but he uses a different word because really in the end, we, we see them tied so closely together. So God's goodness is his glory. God's goodness reveals to us his glory. So then in turn, our goodness reflects his glory, and therefore he gets the credit, he gets the glory, because the goodness is his glory. I'm going to tie this also now to Matthew 5, 16. I told you I get, I get, a, little, get a little scripture happy here. So Matthew 5, 16, it says, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we have the idea that we, we need to be humble about our good works, because God gets the credit. But at the same time, we need to be, in a sense, bold with, with our good works. Because humility, in the end, humility doesn't mean like hiding or, or downplaying something. It really means giving credit where credit is due. So our humility as Christians is, is not just to like say, like, oh, like, like someone compliments you. It's not just, oh, it was nothing or oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. I mean, you can, you can, you can acknowledge, like, yeah, you're, you're welcome. And in addition to that, so this is where God gets the glory, is you give credit to where credit is due. You can, you can share the fact that, well, the only, the only reason I, you don't have to say it like this, but I, the, only, like, the only reason I even have the ability to do good is because of my good God, or, or it's, it's my good God, or it's my good Savior who, who encouraged me to do this, or my heart has been transformed to, to show these good works, and, and maybe even share a little testimony of, like, I didn't used to be like this. I used to be a huge jerk. Now I'm only a little jerk, but I show God's goodness a lot because he has transformed my heart and the cross of Christ has changed me and I want to show God's goodness and I want to serve and help. So it's things like that where, yes, you do the good works, but it doesn't end there. There's this boldness of the gospel that has to be attached to them. And that's where we're able to, to help show the glory of God through our good works. And in the end, what that helps to do from, from Psalm 34.8 is it helps other people to taste and see the goodness of of God. So let your works be evident. Again, it doesn't mean you have to like boast and announce them of like, guess what I'm about to do, or everybody take a look at this. Like, we don't have to boast about them or make a big show about them, but we can, we can let them be seen. And it's okay to, to, to say you're welcome. And, and then, as I said, and then give credit to, to God and, and all that, that he has done. All right, so that part, what I was trying to hit is a lot of, of the roots of it. So we have this idea of where where goodness comes from, so coming from God, coming through Christ, and how we're able to reflect that. So I wanted to take a little bit also then to just see, to see what does it look like. So in more of a day-to-day -day kind of thing, what does being a good person, what does showing goodness look like for us? And, and I'd already mentioned a, I know a lot of times, the, the short answer is Jesus. I mean, it looks like Jesus. When you become more Christ-like, when you act like Christ, you are going to be, in a sense, showing goodness. Because if you do the things that he did, well, he was good. Therefore, you will reflect his goodness. So what, what does that look like in, in other ways? Um, well, 
we can see some of the things that, that Jesus did in his ministry. So in some of the, the day-to-day ministries, you can think of things like, like just the way that he was, he was with people. I mean, he, he liked to be with people and liked to care for people and have compassion on the people. Like I think of the example when he was going to get in a boat and to get away, but then like, the people like, run after him and they're trying, like, they just won't let him go. So what does, he, what does he do? He doesn't just like, turn and hightail it out there and hide somewhere. Like, he goes to the people and then he teaches them. And, and he does it to the point of exhaustion even. And he feeds the people when they're hungry. He, he feeds them and he, he meets their needs, which and the, and the cool thing and one for, for us to aspire to is, is he meets their needs in, in different ways. Like he, he meets physical needs. He, he provides food. He provides those kind of things for them. But then he also meets spiritual needs. He's, he's, he, he's, uh, he's praying for people. He's, um, you know, he's, he's well, <laughs> saving people. Uh, he, he uh, I don't know, what's a, there's something of different good examples. Of, and there's just so many, like this, I told you, like, they, there's so many in my head that I don't know which ones to pick sometimes. But just that, that care and compassion that God has for his people. And it's such a refreshing thing. It's such an amazing thing. And, and that's, I mean, that's really the idea of what we want to look to, of, of how we can, can meet the physical needs of the people around us. And whether it's, you know, whether it is a, a lawn mode or, or fixing a fence or whether it's a, a meal that we can bring to somebody or whatever it might be in that sense, or, or the spiritual needs of people, the way that we can, can show care and compassion, whether it's just sitting in and crying with someone. I mean, that's what Jesus did when Lazarus died. He, he wept with them, which is so interesting because he knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back to life, but he sat and wept with them, and, and it's, just such, it's just such a beautiful picture. We can do those things. We can pray for people. We can pray and pray with people, and that's one of the things I encourage also is, is not just praying for people and letting them know we're going to pray for them, but but to actively pray with someone. And that's some of the moments I have in my life is when, when people who I didn't expect just came and like put their arm around me and, and prayed for me. And it was just it's some of those moments that, that are just burned in my memory because of how encouraging it was and how helpful it was and then how much glory it brought to God in that sense. Like I think of an example when, when I'd gotten back from, from when my dad had passed away and I got back to school, like the last thing I wanted to do was to go, go back to work. My mind was just all over. And I remember one of the kids stopping me before class and just saying, hey, can I pray for you? And then one of my students prayed for me. And it was just such a humbling and beautiful moment that, that just really exemplified the, the goodness of God. So those are the kind of things that, that we want to try to aspire to and look to. So whether it's at home, work, church, neighborhood, grocery store, like anywhere that you might go, what are ways that you can show care and compassion to the people that God has put in your path? And ultimately, it is, it is the people God has put in your path in the sense that verse earlier we said, God has prepared good works for you beforehand. He is, he is preparing these opportunities. And so it's up to us to, to try to, to make the most of them, to seek them out. So look for those opportunities. And then when you have them, whatever it might be, it's like physical, spiritual, try to use your resources, time, energy, or physical, whatever it might be, to help to help show the love and care and goodness of our Savior to, to those around us. One of the other things, I, so I think of with that, in terms of that idea of, of being ready. So being ready, as I said, I mean, look for them. But then one of the cool things with that is, is really we should be expecting them. We should expect the opportunities. So yes, we look for them, we try to find them. But if you're like me, sometimes you get kind of busy, and like at the end of the day, I'm like... I feel like I was looking, but I, I didn't really see anything. But, 
So it's easy to miss. Really, it is. It's easy to miss. But ultimately, if I'm missing them, it's more, it's, it's something on me because God has promised to prepare them. So whether it was something where, where uh, it was an inconvenience or maybe it was just something that might have been awkward or uncomfortable, I mean, there's just different situations that maybe we, we overlook certain certain opportunities, or maybe we just don't feel adequate enough because we're trying to look to ourselves instead of looking through Christ through us. But with those, we want to be sure that, that ultimately, every day, God is going to give you opportunities. He's going to put people in your life. He's going to give you circumstances and give you things where you can show his goodness to others. Looking at a few verses, tying them together, encouraging us to be ready. From Titus 3.1, be ready for every good work. Ephesians 2.10, that God prepared beforehand. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 and Galatians 6.9, do not grow weary in doing good. And Ephesians 2.10 again, as we have been created for this. So be ready for every good work that God prepared beforehand and do not grow weary in doing good as we have been created for this. So be alert at all times, in all situations, because opportunity is going to come. As I said, it can be easily missed if, if we get caught up in, in other things, which is also a reason I encourage, always encourage you to be in Scripture, be in prayer, and just get your, your heart and mind in tune with God and His ways so then you will see these opportunities better and be able to make the most of them. I want to point out also in, in Matthew 20, 15, uh, Jesus talks about being generous and in the, the word he uses for generous is the same one that Paul uses for good, which I think is just a cool connection in the sense that there is a generosity to our goodness. Because whether it's, whether it's time you're being generous with or energy, or as we said, it could be physical things, like, but either way, there is some form of generosity that you are using in your goodness as you help for and, and care for other people. So be generous with your time and resources and allow yourself to get pulled away from your to-do list or be pulled out of your comfort zone. So God's prepared good works for you. Look for them, expect them, make the most of them. As I wrap it up, one more I wanted to point to. So I already mentioned before Matthew 5.16, but one of the things I wanted to mention is that the word used for goodness in Matthew 5.16 is also translated as beautiful, which I think is just such a wonderful description of God's goodness, that it, his goodness is beautiful. So it takes me back to, the, to what I, I said in the beginning of that, that sunrise in the morning and just that, that beauty of God's goodness that helps to remind us of God's beauty in his goodness, which came to us in Jesus Christ, bringing salvation to all so that we can be zealous in good works which radiates the beauty of God as it lights up his glory for all to taste and see that he is a good God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you for that, and we pray that you write that on our hearts, that even as we may, we may struggle, we may wrestle, we may doubt, pray that you be patient with us, and that you would help us to see and to trust in your goodness and to fill our lives with your, your beauty, that we would see it in creation, we would, we would hear it in the words of, of our brothers and sisters, we would share it with our brothers and sisters, just help us to be marked with goodness. And again, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.